Welcome, welcome back to CGM Lounge. Of course, I'm Dominic Landry, uh, co-founder of Common Ground Management. And today's episode for this week is uh, episode four, and it's called Growth Strategies, and specifically growth by reduction. So we have a couple of great guests today. Our first time doing two guests, so this should be really fun. And these are really, really intelligent women and and great entrepreneurs. Um, First, we have Alicia Kinchlow. Um, she's an attorney, so Alicia, you can give us a little bit about your your law firm and what you do, and then we'll jump over to Felicia after you give us your introduction. Sure. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Dom. Um, again, my name is Alicia Kinslow. I'm an attorney by trade. I've been an attorney for about 12 years, and after managing a uh, good-sized law firm for a number of years, I started my law practice almost five years ago now. Um, primarily I focus on family law. I still do a little bit of business and, um, some other areas of practice, but primarily my, um, focus is family law. And as we kind of talked about growth strategies, definitely growth by reduction. Um, I'll explain kind of why I focused more on one area of practice. Um, in addition to that, I also have an MBA. Uh, from St. Joseph's University, and I love talking about business. Shout um, out, Hawk. So, Adam knows this. <laughs> I'm always like pulling him into like random lunches and happy hours and just go over just business strategies. I love talking about business. So, aside from being a business coach, um, I also started a podcast called The Growth Goal, where we help people, um, small businesses, solopreneurs, get to the next level by focusing on tangible tactical items for growth. So again, thank you so much for having me on the show. And I look forward to talking to you and Felicia about helping other businesses grow. Awesome. And then Meg's our second guest for today, Miss Felicia D. Harris. You got to throw the D in there. Got to um, put it Miss <laughs> Felicia D. Harris of High Touch. Um, so it's a really, really close friend of ours and has an amazing consulting firm, but I don't want to take away from your introduction. So Ms. Harris, please tell us uh, what you do and what got you into starting your own business. Yeah, so my company is High Touch Enterprises, and we are a full-service marketing and communications firm specializing in event production, fundraising, and brand strategies. And um, I pretty much fell into my line of work. I bounced around, um, always stayed in the marketing and branding. I actually started off as a brand manager for a real estate company in New York, straight out of college. And then I came back to Philly. I ended up at the Urban Affairs Coalition, and I was the marketing coordinator there, um, as well as special assistant to the president. And ended up with, you know, working my way up to marketing manager and fundraising. Um, never thought I would really enjoy or see myself doing any type of event production um, or even fundraising. I really just wanted to focus on branding and marketing, but. Um, I guess as you would say, the universe, the universe uncovered some other skill sets that I had that people felt were valuable. Mm-hmm. And I stayed at the Urban Affairs Coalition doing that work for six years before I was presented with the opportunity by other companies who saw the work that I did at the Urban Affairs Coalition to do the same thing for them. And it just got to a point where, you know, I started my company while I was still at the Urban Affairs Coalition 
I'm the first client I took on was actually the African American Chamber of Commerce. And um, I did their marketing and their biggest fundraiser event of the year. And I was able to do that successfully without my job even knowing. Which was funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, my boss at the time, um, she, she she came to the event. I knew she was going to be at the event because I was managing it. And I saw her on the guest list. And I actually made sure she had a really good seat. And um, that week, I had used my vacation time and took off. And um, so when she gets to the event, I could tell she was confused. She wasn't sure if I was volunteering, if I was just helping, or if I was running the <laughs> event. And afterwards, when I told her that I ran the entire event, she was extremely, extremely impressed by the fact that I could still maintain the same level of quality in my work output at that company and, and mm. still manage another, another client. And mm. I think that when I did decide to make that move to go and... Um, and start my own company she was extremely supportive because she knew that I could balance the two which is why when I left she actually asked um that I continue a lot of the projects that I still did did there so they became a client awesome amazing and I and I think that that's a, a really great segue into the first iteration of the conversation today and which I think both of you two can definitely speak about and so when we talk about entrepreneurship a lot of people think it, you default I don't have a job and I'm starting from scratch and I'm doing these ideas but I know for a fact that both of you and even including myself we actually started our ideas while we were working at the place that maybe gave us the skill set to do it so first I want to preference preference for the listening audience that um entrepreneurship is problem solving so you can solve these problems while you have a full-time job and while you're getting your ducks in a row so i think that's the first place we can start when you when you're talking about growth the thing that's going to um prohibit growth is cost and the first way to abate some costs is to continue to have your your job while you're starting out your idea so Alicia, um, where, where were you before you started your firm? And then like how, how much time did it take for you to go completely full time? So before, so, and because I'm a lawyer, we have certain roles that we right. have to abide by. So we have certain limitations and then we may have contractual limitations about what we're allowed to do um, in terms of soliciting clients and things like that while we work for someone else. So um, I, I'll preface it by starting with that. but. I knew for a while that I was bored. I mean, that was the first thing was that I needed a challenge. I was always trying to find another way to give myself a challenge at work. And it was funny, though, uh, Felicia, is that I actually got this job through the Urban Affairs Coalition when I was 16. Oh, the work so ready program. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was a summer program. I started there um, at 16 and I worked my way through the rest of my high school career, college, law school and then business school eventually. And just kept like giving myself challenges, but kept getting bored. Um, right. And when I left, I had it, there were about 140 employees. So I was the first one, and then I'm managing the entire firm of 140. For me, uh, and what I talk a lot of lawyers and just people in general is that you're building your business through building your network, through building your relationships, and like you said, Dom, through building your skill set while you're there. So for me, I kind of knew I was getting bored. I remember having a review with my boss, and he asked me, you know, what did I want to do? You know, what do I want to do in the firm? And I'm like, I want your job. Like that, I mean, 
just being across from the table and telling the head of a firm that that's what you want and knowing that there's no other way to really get that but to move on. So for me, I started kind of thinking through a lot of things, um, just kind of taking it a step back and thinking about what type of practice I wanted to have, what kind of culture I wanted to have. And then I started meeting with people um, and not just people in my profession, but accountants, director of operations in different um, types of businesses, asking them questions. I talked to people who were solo um, law firm owners or law practice owners, asked them you know, what they did, how they got started, how they made ends meet, what they charged for cases. So I, you know, I met with as many people as I could to get as much information as I could. You know, people who did it and they and they failed. I talked to them. I talked to them a lot because they had the best information about what not to do. So for me, it was just kind of getting information. Um, and then I gave um, a lot of notice to my job because I had been there for about 16, 17 years. I gave them about three months notice. And because I had talked to my boss at the time, you know, he was pretty helpful in certain ways about sending me referrals and things like that. So for me, it started a while before I left because I kind of knew what I wanted to do and I kind of had the blessing of him. But I would tell people that you need to be thinking about these things. I think even if you're not looking at going out on your own anytime soon, you have to think about your next, you know, your next career path. And that means you have to think about things in the way of an entrepreneur, even in that. So if your job were to be gone tomorrow, you know, have you developed those relationships? Have you developed those problem solving skills? to make you a valuable candidate or resource to the next profession. And then if you, you know, God forbid, you have to go somewhere and start on your own, you can kind of start with that. But that's kind of where I started. Um, and, you know, I took a lot of savings from, you know, what I had because I knew that's what I wanted to do. And when I went solo, I really went solo. I, I didn't work anywhere else. Um, I didn't really work anywhere else. It, it was it. I, I ate what I killed and that was really it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And then Felicia, I know we worked a lot together and both business wise, because you used our firm a lot while you were at UAC, but also on our downtime because we volunteered a lot together. So how I, I think your superpower is like relationship building. So how did how much strategy went into you and your exit from your job? Like how long were you thinking about, oh, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to set these ducks in a row. If you can talk about that a little bit and, and how you started that growth process. Well, one thing I will say is that I knew that at some point I was going to work for myself and I was going to either have my own business or be a real estate investor. Didn't know which one was going to come first or how it was going to happen. But just always having that in mind. And then also um, the best advice I think I ever got was my first week in undergrad at Howard University's business school mm-hmm. where we were told by Mr. Gray um, always don't leave the grocery store without your groceries number one mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and two you are always you are always your first business you are always you are a business and you're your first priority mm-hmm. and so every business relationship every job that I had I always remembered that that I am a business and I presented myself as a brand but more than that I understood that the power of my network is what was going to open another door. So I never turned down an opportunity to meet someone. I was very intentional intentional about never burning bridges. And um, I was super intentional about keeping in contact with people, no matter how I met them. And then lastly, I made sure no matter what job I had, 
um, that I always put my best foot forward, if not 110%, because people will always remember the work that you've done. Um, And so just living by those basic principles, when the opportunity did present itself, I felt like I was in a very strong position. Um, I I intentionally pre-planned, you know, having conversations with entrepreneurs, the main person being my father, who's been an entrepreneur my entire life. And one thing he always said is that when an opportunity does come and you are ready to go out on your own, you need to make sure your your personal finances are intact. Mm. And so a big part of that is credit, (laughs) making sure that your credit is on point, you know, protect your credit, build your credit. You're going to need some credit. And um, I mean, just to start building business credit, you have to have a good, you have to at least have decent personal credit first. Um, And then the next thing for me was having a secure fallback plan. So no matter what I tried, um, if it didn't work out or if checks didn't come in from clients on time, I still could maintain um, a basic lifestyle, which means for me having a roof over my head and food on the table. And so when I met Dom, um, we actually became close through um, volunteering with Universal um, Programs, um, Pearls of Wisdom and Voice of Men. Mm-hmm. And um, we actually got paid a stipend for that. And that extra and that extra cash is what, is what went to the down payment on my duplex. Right. <laughs> and so, and, I, and getting a duplex was part of my one day I'm going to be out on my own plan. Because I knew that if I got, if I was financially, if, if I was financially savvy enough to get a property where I could rent out one unit that would cover the cost of me living there and I can live there for free, my worst case scenario, if things didn't work out, if I jumped out on my own, is I still had a place to live. And even worst case scenario, I could move out of my unit, rent that one out too, and have a decent income in addition to my mortgage being paid. And so I never, I kind of eliminated that fear of failure by having a backup plan and a cushion with inside of my, um, with you know, with inside of my my my, my business plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with me, I've been broke before, and I tell people all the time, I never want to be that broke again, <laughs> ever, mm-hmm. ever. You know, eating eating off the Happy Meal, eating ramen noodles because you really you scraping together dollars to make it work i never want to be that broke again and so mm-hmm. when people say oh you have to take a leap of faith you know if you if you don't put it all in you're not gonna go far i'm like well i can still take a calculated risk and at least have a backup plan and make my own safety net to fall in absolutely and that's the key like that that problem solving before you jump in the pool is going to keep you from Having to having to tread water longer than you have to, right? And and I love what your teacher told you because we tell a lot of our clients the same thing, um, and it's true. Like you are the business, Steve Job from Steve Jobs to Jeff Bezos to any really wildly successful entrepreneur, they weren't the first person to have that particular idea. They were just them. Maybe their work ethic was just that a little bit more intense. Maybe they were just that a little bit more prepared. And, you know, to Miss Harris, to Felicia Harris's point, you know, having this strategy and her having the ability to work um, an insane amount of hours to cover both the full-time job and the side thing, to have the the house, the duplex, to be able to be a launch pad for an entrepreneurship is her magic recipe. It won't necessarily work for somebody else, 
if they don't have you know your ability to just relentlessly go after your your goal and the the great thing i love about what you guys bring to the table is you're you're both very pragmatic too um i've never seen any either one of you kind of go off the handle and i know everybody has like emotional times but alicia you have uh, a full family you have kids and yeah. house. <laughs> so it's very easy for you to be like man I can't do this no more but um, you guys are very poised and I think that's a big part of the a big part of the equation on why you guys grow really well so kicking it off with Felicia for this next point Felicia so how old is the business how long have you been in business and then what are some keys key things that you do um, to a create a create a a, a fee for your consulting services. So what are you looking at? And then how do you handle those costs on on the services rendered? Because that's a big, that's a big, uh, big part of the growth. Like if your margins are thin, you really can't grow that much. So how have you been able to handle that mm-hmm. with consulting? Yeah, those are really great questions. So um, to start with, I guess the first point, mm-hmm. um, so I've been in business officially, it'll be three years on February 22nd of this month. Um, that's when um, I started part-time and then um, March 1st of this year will be two full years um, in business since I've left my job. Um, and as far as the profit margins, um, so people contract me in three different ways. Either it's by the hour on a, on a particular project where they feel like they may need to call me in from time to time, a monthly retainer, which is my favorite, or it may just be a flat rate for an extended period of time based off of the scope of work for the project. So for example, if it's an event um, that's annual, they may only need me for five months to execute the event and I'll have a flat rate for that. So um, I try to focus um, my business that I pull in or attract um, on monthly retainer clients because that allows me to have a better, um, it it allows me to have a better view of what my year will look like in advance. Mm -hmm. And that allows me to see what staff I can pull in to help. And I try to make sure that I have my own little personal ratio where I like to make sure I have at least one third profit after I pay myself and after I pay whoever else I need to um, subcontract to help me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to spend all the money on paying other people and paying myself to get it done. So I do factor in a salary for myself, a salary um, for someone else. And then I like to have one third of that left. And that goes towards general overhead, which I do keep my overhead as low as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it really isn't, well, it really hasn't been, um, hasn't been rocket science. I've been using that simple, um, equation. Now that I am starting to grow more, I do have an accounting firm. <laughs> I use mm-hmm. an accountant and they kind of help me monitor and come up with creative ways to save on the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And I kind of consult with them on my projections for the next six months on, you know, if, if I'm in a safe space to bring in or hire someone else, if I can consolidate work. Um, so for example, instead of having a different project manager for each project, is there a way that 
we can just have instead of six people have three people where one person focuses on all the marketing for the clients and one person can focus on all the fundraising for the clients and that's actually the new model that we've switched to for 2019 and it's actually starting to go really well and it's allowing us to increase our capacity of how many people we can serve without hiring more people yeah and it's and i love it because in consulting the hardest thing is when you get a new project sometimes you, the the other if you already have project managers their bandwidth is already being used up so you got to hire somebody else so it's very hard to get multiple projects on one person's plate but if you've been able to solve that equation that's where that scale happens and where that growth really becomes exponential um so it sounds like you guys are handling that really well and the big thing i heard you say was um business model and so a lot of people don't understand that the model is going to shift as the business matures so it sounds like you're finding your groove with certain models that were retained services so a big monthly check from the client that's going to allow you to project and forecast so guys if you're listening these are key i mean what she's what she's saying like she said is very one two three so you don't have to make the equation complicated but you do have to do the things right you do got to forecast you do have to understand your personal budget so what's your living situation and how much you're going to take out of that retainer if you're doing that type of service um and then what's left on the margin so how do you pay other people do you still have operating income to pay rent, to pay any other miscellaneous things that are coming out, subscriptions, etc.? So what Felicia just said, she really just broke down the game for you guys in consulting. Uh, so Alicia, on your on your side, I know billable hours can like rack up <laughs> on, the, <laughs> on the legal side. So how do you keep it affordable, but yet still have the ability to grow the firm for your clients? So for me, it's it's interesting. And I feel like the legal profession is like in a very interesting space right now with there being a lot of people kind of challenging the way that we've always done things. Mm -hmm. So there's an opportunity, I think, for for disruption in the industry. And it's, it's, honestly, it really is happening right now. So there's a shift away from the billable hour to more flat fee rates. Um, and that's something that I've been using in a lot of situations um, where it seems like it's appropriate to do it. Um, and just like any other business, right, if you sit down and you kind of look at, you map out what it is that you do, you can kind of get an idea of how long it's going to take you to do it and what the costs are involved to do it. And then you can kind of make it to a science. Mm -hmm. There are going to be some cases that are going to fall outside of those. And those are ones that I tend to still do a billable hour on. There are going to be some clients who like to talk a lot, you know, talk a lot more about what's going on. And so those may need to be a billable hour client and maybe need to shift to that away from the flat fee. Mm -hmm. But what I like to be able to do is, you know, like today, sit down with a client who's going through a custody matter and say, look, you know, I've seen your case. I know every case is kind of different, but I've seen the type of case that you have. Here's an idea of how much time is going to go into it, what I'm going to be able to do, what my firm is going to be able to do, how long it's going to take. And this is what it's going to cost you. One of the biggest issues that I think a lot of law lawyers face is that there's a lack of transparency. People are afraid to hire us because just like that, you know, they're worried about the billable hours. They're worried it's going to cost a lot of money. They're not going to, you know, send me, they're not going to call me or email me a question that they should ask me because they're afraid of being charged for it. And then that hurts their case in the, on the back end. Mm -hmm. I want to take that away. I think a lot of lawyers want to take that away. We want to help our clients. I know this is also a big thing in the, you know, in the business legal aspect as well. But that's kind of what I'm doing. So, you know, before I jumped completely into it like I am now, I did a little bit of, you know, testing on it. You know, I looked at 
the way people pay, you know, if they paid a little bit easier, if they had a flat rate, if, you know, if the, if the retainer worked a little bit better and you kind of keep data on it and see what works. But that's been, I think, what's working best for me. A client can kind of know what it's going to cost them to kind of get through their case. Mm-hmm. And that part of the, you know, thing is, is out from over their heads. And then with me, I know what, you know, what I can bring in. I kind of know what I need to do to hit my next revenue goal. You know, how many cases I need to bring in if I have a flat fee rate structure. And that allows me to project cash flow. It allows me to project, you know, against the trends that I'm seeing. Um, and it helps me to forecast like where my business is going to be in the next one, two, three, four, five years. But, um, and I think, like I said, I think ultimately it helps the clients too, and that's what they want. Yeah, it sounds a lot like standardization. So what we talk about, what we talked about last week on the Cost of Good Sold episode was eliminating variables, eliminating, you know, like you said, a guy that can talk 25 hours and you're like, man, you're rack, you're killing my time. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta put more build on you. I gotta do this. And what both you and Felicia both said sounded like standardization. How can we iterate enough to the point where we have the standardized process, which puts us in a place where we can project rather accurately where we're gonna be um, the next couple of months into the years as as we're bringing on new clients, new employees new expenditures so question for both of you guys you can um, answer in any order what's been the most surprising cost that you've incurred uh, where you just looked at the report and be like damn I spent that much on that <laughs> <laughs> so, so I know you can't see each other but I guess you know whoever uh, starts going first I'll, I'll say one of the things that I, I've seen and this this is I think a testament to kind of watching what's going on in your business yeah my phone rate so and I was, I was on a mastermind <laughs> call today and I was talking about that because what you sometimes, what, and it's, it goes to what you said too about your what, you, what you're doing needs to change as you grow. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes when you start out with something, this system works for you, you know, but then as you get a little bit, you know, grow a little bit more, you add on to something, add on top of it, something to help that work even better. And if you don't clean it up as you go along, you have a whole bunch of band-aids on top of things. So when I look at like how a lot of my phone lines are set up between my home office and my main office and my virtual workers and my people in the office and my, <laughs> and just like the way that I have a lot of things set up and I'm like, okay, this is not the most effective way. Like, the job is getting done. I'm not missing calls. My client calls are getting responded to quickly. But when I'm looking at my expenses, this is something that doesn't quite make sense. And this is a place where I can kind of go back. So I think it's kind of understanding that your systems need to change as your business changes, as it grows. What worked for you when you were, you know, an infant stage is not going to work for you when you're at three. And it's a good idea to kind of keep an eye on those things and review them quarterly to make sure that you're using the most effective tools for where you are in your business and where the business is going at the next step. Oh, my gosh. You, I, I tag team that. <laughs> I take, especially the quarterly review. Um, I used to do an annual review and that's me in my infancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and after my last annual review, I'm like, oh no, I have to start looking at this quarterly um, because you'll be surprised where these small increases begin to incur. Mm-hmm. And you're like, hold up, hold up, hold up. That's like <laughs> an extra $50 a month. And that adds up. So 
you can think it's small. Like I just got an email from G Suite last night mm-hmm. saying that they're increasing their per person user by two dollars a user, which is high. Which is high. <laughs> I mean, they're going from ten dollars a user per month to twelve dollars a user per month. So that's a twenty percent increase, folks. Like, and you may look, oh, that's just two dollars, but when you mm-hmm. start multiplying by the people mm-hmm. you have on your team, that adds up. But um, I had I had to, I had to tag team that. But the, I think the one thing that for me in my business, which I didn't realize, because I do a lot of events, so I travel a lot, and I travel to people's offices, and I travel to event spaces, parking. Um, mm. My accountant was surprised, and they're like, "Why don't you just catch?" the bus or the train you know maybe I, I mean I even did try I think um, Dom I think you told me you like try Uber try getting the pass <laughs> yeah no we talked about it was like uh, try a Zipcar because if you're just instead of like parking you can pay less money just take a Zipcar straight there and straight back and you know there's a parking lot that you park for free with the Zip so yeah we I remember that conversation about what a year ago when we talked about that parking yeah I, I was i was just so surprised i think one month i spent almost a thousand dollars in parking and, and you know multiply that by 12 you know that's like a that's a mm-hmm. pretty good independent contractor that you could hire to, to actually add value to the service <laughs> if you're looking at man i'm spending twelve thousand dollars a year on just like parking the car yes it's crazy so yes, at least and you, also printing printing oh yeah it's a super high cost um that people don't even think like oh 10 cents a sheet but yo but you can well one thing as this is a word of advice for all consultants um one thing that i've got creative at doing is i realized that i print more from i'm printing for meetings with my clients and so you'll be surprised how many clients will be willing to print for you if you send it to them in advance and so that's one thing that i ask and i request usually at the beginning of our relationship is that, you know, if we're having weekly meetings, do you mind if we send you the agenda 24 hours in advance so you can print it for the team? And I was able to cut my printing costs in half just by doing that. And, and very, again, folks, like when we're, uh, as you're listening to these um, people that have a lot of experience on these podcasts, none of this stuff is like Felicia um, so eloquently stated, it isn't rocket science. It's just being able to look at what's going on numerically in your business and saying man why am i spending five thousand dollars a year on printing doesn't make any sense it doesn't add value to what <laughs> we can send this in a pdf on a deck or like we said your, your clients might print for you um so we we have a little bit of time left i want to ask felicia one more question uh-huh. and then i want to open it up to any like some anecdotal stories about maybe what you guys have seen especially alicia with your podcast so first Felicia, you deal with a lot of vendors, a lot of subcontractors. You also have a pretty uh, nice team of people underneath you. How has that been for you in terms of like managing the cost on the on just the help side? Like, what what are some keys or some tips that you can give to people who 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 don't know how to bring on or onboard people to help them get the project done? So I'm so glad you asked me that question because it was definitely on my mind, especially with um, vendors and subcontractors. And in any business, talent is one of the hardest things. I mean, one of the biggest challenges. And when I bring it up to other business owners, it's like consistent agreement that finding good talent is can be the biggest expense, but it can also be the biggest challenge to retain 
you know, good quality talent that can really help elevate your business or even get, you know, critical things done. Um, and so that has not been easy. I have not figured out the right or the best formula for contractors that I bring on for long periods of time to help me on those bigger projects. But one thing that I have been doing is for the line of work that I do, and I read this book called Traction. I forgot who mm. to me. They gave me the book Traction. I don't remember the author. But one of the things that they talked about when you look at growing your business is how can you operationalize it? How can you um, build out positions where really someone can read a manual and get it done and they don't need a really strong skill set, you know, mainly in there? Um, mm. So I've really been focusing on bringing on people that are trainable. And I invested a lot of time into putting together very organized systems and even putting an investment in technology that helps them get that work done um, at a lower cost to my business and where I don't have to pay top dollar for top talent. Um, However, to deliver that high quality product for my client, I realized that where we can allocate those dollars are with the vendors that are subcontracted on those projects, which I which I'm able to strategically put into my client's budget so it doesn't come out of what they're paying me. So, for example, if I'm doing a large event um, and I know that videography, photography, graphic design, all those other things that are going to enhance the quality of the event, um, I'm able to get my client to put that into their event budget outside of my salary and I can then go and recruit the best in the top vendors for those things to really make the event pop um now the best thing about that is when you have that opportunity to constantly build relationships with vendors and bring vendors in on projects you begin to build a relationship with them and they look at you as like a king as like a king a kingpin like you putting them on you helping them build their business because you're you know you're essentially bringing them more clients and so then I get into a process where now I can negotiate and barter services with my vendors. So especially in the nonprofit world, if I know if I know what my clients' budgets are, I'll say, look, this particular client only has a budget of five hundred dollars, but this one has a budget of fifteen hundred dollars. So if you can do me this favor and do this project for five hundred dollars, I'll make sure you get the fifteen hundred dollar contract too. Um, and that has worked well. And then I then begin to barter services for my own personal business. So I feel like a lot of budding entrepreneurs, spend, entrepreneurs, they spend a lot of time into building the business, like creating the brand. They spend money on logo designs, on the website, um, on photography and photo shoots. I barter those services um, and get discounts on those services through vendors that I already use on current projects. You know, being able to get my website redone because my web developer, I've built a solid book of business for him. And the same thing with my videographer or photographer. I'm able to get a free photo shoot and free videos for each project that I do because I'm bringing them business. And so it really becomes relationship building so that you can begin to barter um, those services, but also make those services work in the best interest for your clients. Awesome. And I love it because as you make this ecosystem, that's what it's about. And you guys are really great at relationship building and, and um, creating these valuable interchanges of, like you said, skill set, learned behavior, learned talent, and 
and that's what that's what we need as entrepreneurs. We need allies that can help us move to the next phase. So we're about like five minutes out. I uh, just want to give you guys an opportunity to give us a good story. So Alicia, I know you, you have the um, the growth goal, which is a podcast. What's the best um, business growth, I guess, interview or or guest you had on, and what do they what do they do really well? Well, you've been on twice, so I really feel like I should say that you were <laughs> <laughs> one of us. Um, but I think one of the one of the um, episodes that I like to talk about really is the first one, which is what was the catalyst for the growth goal. And that was our interview with um, New York Times bestseller Paul Downs. He has a book called Surviving a Small Business, mm-hmm. where he thought he was going out of business. Um, he's actually a furniture maker um, just outside of King of Prussia. But he worked. He wrote for the New York Times. He had an article where he just talked about small business um, and the lack of transparency when it comes to business books um, and just talking about what is actually going on in a business. I feel like there's a there was a big gap between entrepreneurs, solo entrepreneurs, um, and then the startup, like the big multi-million dollar, billion dollar startups. Yeah, there's no comparison. <laughs> yeah, there's like it's like there's no in between. And there's most of businesses are small businesses. Right. So you know his books took month by month for a year what was going on in his business and he literally put in there his cash flow everything and he talked about his feelings about letting down his family about letting down his staff and then like the hardest things he made about hiring and firing bringing consultants and it was I mean it was very good and at the end of the book he said you know if you want to learn more about this or you want any of my spreadsheets email me so I'm, I email him like not thinking he's going to respond and he does Mm-hmm. And we started talking and he asked me to come out. I came, went out to his uh, factory and did an interview with him. And that's, and it was such good information. I felt like other people needed to know this. So that's what the growth goal, the podcast is, is really, you know, how do we give a lot more transparency about what it really looks like to build a business? It's not all glamorous. It is very difficult. I know. And I thank you for saying that, you know, you think that I'm poised. But, you know, I have those moments at least probably once a day. And I'm sure most small business owners do where you're not sure that you're doing everything right. You feel like you failed something mm-hmm. um, or you failed your family or you failed your business or, you, you know, and, and me being a lawyer, when I'm going into court, you know, there are days when it doesn't come out the way that it wants. I had four hearings yesterday and one of them didn't come out the way that I wanted. And that was my focus. So it, it's like there's a lot that you have to deal with in terms of emotional um financial practicals there's a lot of hats that you have to wear and the purpose of the goal goal was to kind of flesh a lot of that stuff out so that we know as business owners we're not alone but then Mm -hmm. to also give you very practical tips like the stuff that we're talking about today on how to do it so um felicia the book that you mentioned traction it's like one of my core five books that i use in terms of Mm -hmm. growth strategies so it's traction it's a book called the growth iq Profit First, which talks a little bit about what you said about holding back a certain percentage of what you get paid to make sure that you're paying yourself. So you're not just working for your business and not now just have created a job for yourself and not actually a business that's going to actually help you move to the next level, but that you actually are, you know, profiting from this business that you're spending so much time in. And then Clockwork and then a book called Scale, which is amazing. So that's kind of what the growth goal is in like a nutshell. And we talk up to business owners at all different types of levels of growth, as well as all different types of businesses, because you can always get different types of ideas from talking to people who are doing different things. Absolutely. Felicia, good story from the last couple of years on 
how you've been able to to maneuver around this cost and, and, and allow your business to grow? Oh my gosh, I don't. <laughs> I don't know if I really have like good good stories. So, well, one thing I always tell so so I look at trends not only in my business but in my clients' businesses as well. Um, and the trend that I saw when I took a step back is that my new business and the growth that I've been receiving has been through current client referrals. Mm-hmm. So. You know, the first thing that comes in my mind is, okay, if all of my new business is coming from current client referrals, I need to keep doing a really good job at cultivating these relationships and building and um, delivering high quality services to my current clients. Mm -hmm. Um, So we are very intentional about our internal marketing strategy to our current clients and not just our current clients, but people that work with our clients have referred as new business as well. So we're very intentional about those things. And um, funny story, um, which came about, I want to say in my first year of business, actually, it's only been in business two years. So about a year and a half. Ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, not all business is good business. And I had to learn that the hard way. And luckily, I learned it very early on. Amen. And, I had, and I took on a client where I just was not happy. Um, I was stressed all the time. The systems I put in place, you know, they weren't really following through on their end, which made things harder on my end. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to get, I have to get out of this project. And before I actually, I did get out of the project, but before I got out of the project, um, I put on an event for them. And at that event, I met, uh, I met who became a, a, a new client. I met them there and they said, oh, this event is so great. I've heard great things about you, you know, from other people. I would love to, you know, hire you and bring you on. And I looked at that experience. Now that person is like my biggest client. And I look at that experience as a lot of times, um, even though, even though the relationship with the client, the business part was not going well, I still made sure that the relationship was good. And so I tell people relationships, 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 they matter, don't burn bridges. So even though the business relationship, in my opinion, as far as the products and the output wasn't going the way it should have been going for, you know, conflicting reasons, I still made sure that we had a great relationship. They liked me at the end of the day. They loved me. They still do. And they still talk highly about me. And that's what was able to bring in another potential client. Um, So, I mean, again, not rocket science, but very important in the consulting business is relationships matter. And a lot of times things won't go your way. Um, A lot of times you may not like someone or their personality, but you can control how you act and how you respond. And it should always be um, in good faith, um, with integrity, and it should be in a way where you want to keep that relationship going, at least personally, because people talk. And in Philadelphia, people talk a lot. And it's not too many people to talk to because it's a small network, especially when you look at the professional black community. So you want to protect your name and your reputation at all costs. And that in itself will contribute to your bottom line. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's awesome. Awesome feedback, awesome content. Because again, like you said, Business. When you get into a business arena, especially in, in a local setting, word spreads fast, and it is you know, there's a there's an old anecdote that said that nothing spreads faster than bad news or a lie. So, <laughs> <laughs> so 
So, you know, like anything that's tragic happens gets around real fast. And then, you know, lies get around really, really quick, too. Um, so if you're doing bad work, please believe that it's going to it's going to circle the globe or at least your ecosystem really quick. Um, I want to say thank you to both you guys. I, I hope that when people listen to this episode, they actually rewind it four or five times and, and listen to it again. Not not for the plays, but because what you guys said was, was very, very keen, but it was also super subtle. The things that you're suggesting um, from day-to-day practice, we have to understand that when we get content, we can't just consume it the one time. Um, we got to go back, review it again, write down, and, and really think about what people are saying, especially from this episode, because Felicia kept saying it, it's not rocket science, but yet we all know to floss our teeth and look both ways before we cross the street, but we also take that for granted too. So the information that's being um, shared with you guys, especially on today's episode, uh, don't take it for granted because it was really, 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 really high level stuff, but you know, you would never know if you didn't apply it. So on behalf of Common Ground Management, I definitely want to thank Alicia Kinchlow and Felisa D. Harris. You got the D in there uh, for, for coming on and really appreciate it. How can they find you guys? Uh, Alicia, how can they find you on Instagram? So on Instagram and on Twitter, I'm A-A-K-E-S-Q. So my initials and then E-S-Q. And you can find the Growth Goal podcast the same um, on there at the Growth Goal. And then my family law podcast um, is a house divided podcast. So you can check that out and there's you know specific content for people who are going through family law litigation perfect and a, an email that they can email you yeah so you can email me at um alicia kinchlow which <laughs> you might have to spell out but it's a-l-y-c-i-a-k-i-n-c-h-l-o-e dot esq at gmail or if you go on to um kinchlow law's website there's a button to click and you can send me an email that way perfect felicia how can we post get in contact with you um, on all social media platforms, you can follow our company at High Touch Inc. That's H I T O U C H I N C. Um, that's on all social media platforms. Um, you can call our office, 267 225 3108, or you can shoot me an email, Felicia.Harris, or you can do Felicia D. Harris. <laughs> At high touch <laughs> Awesome. This is uh, Common Ground Management, CGM Lounge. This is uh, Dominique Landry, and we're signing off. Uh, once again, thank you so much for tuning in, and be sure to catch us next time on the next episode. Bye.